now you're going to bring it up and, and just put salt on the wound? Will you stop yelling at me? No! Live in the entertainment capital of the world. No, no, you're making me nervous, but seriously. It's the T.C. Martin Show. No, listen. Is there a question? You're making me nervous. Diagnosis. Uh-oh! And a foul! Prognosis. Well, that's good. Osmosis. And they'll reset. Nowitzki again for the lead. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. Hour number two. I want to thank B.J. Armstrong for joining us. Talking NBA Finals. And we've got uh, still USA Basketball here in town for the weekend uh, with exhibition games, the women's side, the men's side as well. And then uh, they're off to Tokyo on Monday. But uh, Team USA out now with Bradley Beal and Jeremy Grant both out. So this USA roster thinning as we speak. Matthew Holt's going to join us this hour. We'll talk to Matt uh, regarding the book side of uh, the basketball, as well as the latest with Conor McGregor. We've got uh, some audio we'll play uh, from Conor McGregor, the notorious one. We don't want to call him the notorious one anymore. I've really never called him the notorious one. What is he notorious for, anyway? For bilking people into getting big fights and taking all their money. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. Taking their money? Oh, you mean taking fans' money? Yeah. For... Because they buy the pay-per-views. I mean, they, yeah, and they tickets. buy the pay-per-views. Yeah. And I still think they will again next time he gets in there. Yeah. Dana White said today it'll be about a year. <laughs> I, I, I don't know when... Don't commit to that, Dana. I, I don't know when Dana and everybody else became doctors, but apparently it's in, in a year he'll be back in the cage. I could see that because you're talking about this injury uh, that he has. He's got the titanium rod put in. The exact same surgery that Anderson Silva had. Is he going to be able to make it through TSA now? Probably not. I don't know. Anderson Silva's had it. A lot of people have yeah. the the rods in there. So yeah, I don't know if that says, sets off a metal detector or not. Yeah. That's actually one of the questions I asked when I broke my neck. I'm like, is this screw going to set it off? But I guess it's not. It, it doesn't detect that particular metal, so I guess it's safe. The titanium rod's probably similar. See, I'm every guessing. time every time you say that you've got a a screw in your neck, I just automatically go to Herman Munster, you know? Well, he had with bolts, the bolts, but he had bolts. Same difference. I mean, bolts and screws in the well, same the, family. Trust me, that's same what hardware I said. store. That's what I said the day I had my accident. It was October 30th. I said, great. You're putting staples in my head. I'm getting screws in my neck. I'm Herman, I'm Frankenstein's monster for Halloween, but I'm going to be stuck in the ICU. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the one day I spent in the ICU. There you go. Greatest show of all time, by the way, too. Well, about I, all time, but it's pretty good. I'm, well, for me, it's all time. It's my number one. There's no question about it because it had it all. It had the comedy. Do you even like the jam it had here? Sports. Do you like the do you love like the, the jam? Okay, love the jam. Yes, yeah. And that's what I loved about the Munsters because they incorporated music, sports. The writing was phenomenal, and you had great actors, and uh, it was fantastic. Did you ever hear Butch Patrick do the remake of this song? I did. Whatever happened to Eddie? Yeah, whatever happened to Eddie. Yeah, yeah. It's that's an interesting a, tune. That's when Eddie. Kind of like it. When Eddie was on drugs. They used to play it back in Chicago. Well, everybody on TV was on drugs back then, weren't they? <laughs> I don't think Marilyn was. Was she? I I don't know. Marilyn, my Marilyn. She, she was the ugly duckling of the family. Yeah, she was. Gosh, she was just <laughs> wretched. Oh, if we could just find a man to. What What always killed me about that show was it's like they always make it sound like. Marilyn was so homely in that, yet the guys that would that they'd want to date in that were kind of normal-looking guys in that. They didn't look like Grandpa and, and Herman in that, but 
They were still fine, but Maryland was the one that they were just tra- hoping they could. Kind of like on the Beverly Hillbillies, they were hoping they could find somebody for Ellie Mae. It's like, <laughs> it ain't that hard. <laughs> Think about that, too. It just shows you the time that they were in back in those days when you were going back to finding someone for a girl or oh, a woman. Yeah. Think about that. And that was just it was just out there like that. You don't well, yeah, have it's those stories like, anymore. Well, no, yeah. It, it's almost like, boy, is Jed Clampett going to have to pay a dowry to get Ellie Mae hitched up with somebody right. out by the cement pond? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. I mean, it was, it, was, it was pay for play back then. It was it. I mean, you know what they call that today? They call that trafficking today. Well, Seriously. Or, or at least pimping. Yeah. Pimping ain't easy. It ain't easy. Godfather right out here from Vegas. Pimping, baby. Oh. All right. See, take me down the Musters uh, Lane, you know, Mockingbird Lane, thirteen, thirteen, Mockingbird Lane. And you were you preferred that much to the Adam oh, Sandler? Not even close. And I have this debate all the time. It's not really a debate to it's, me. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like the Ginger Marianne debate. Almost everybody I know always says Marianne. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever met somebody that said Ginger with the Monsters and Adams Family. I don't know if I've ever met somebody that said the Adams Family. I've I've ran into quite a few people with the Adams quite a family. few really yeah, I, yeah, I haven't yeah. it's like it's like split it's fifty fifty I mean I was a big cousin it fan I I love cousin it and Fester those two guys but, but Gomez I could do without and Morticia I could do without but definitely but she speaks French that, that's quite <laughs> that's okay you know what she was to me she was a ripoff of Lily she was and we're not talking about the AT and T Lily Nunchuck that you like <laughs> yeah no we're t- yeah, Lily Munster. Get this off my show right now. I don't want to hear this nonsense. Record scratch, please. Jeez. No, it's, it's a phony. The Munsters were first. Adam's family were a ripoff. Again, I like originality. Got to be the original. Right I always now. wonder why Pugsley had a weight problem when he came from Gomez and Morticia. Do you know how many kids I called in school Pugsley? <laughs> Any fat kid in school, I'd say, oh, there's Pugsley. Oh, you were body shaming. Yeah, I was body shaming. Oh, how many years ago was that? I, but, but you got to check the resume. You could be in trouble. <laughs> My third baseman, I'd say, don't hit it to Pugsley. Okay? Pugsley's not going to be able to get over to the hole to cut that ball <laughs> yeah, off. Maybe to bend down and pick up the ball. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I called this kid Pugsley. Till this day, my third baseman in high school, I still call him Pugsley. Well, not to his face, but to other people. I go, and people say to me, go, hey, guess who I saw at the bowling alley last week? I saw Pugsley. I was the only guy that called him Pugsley. Was he bowling with his sister? <laughs> I don't know. What day of the week was it? I got a high school reunion coming up, too. And I was afraid, oh, my, I'll have to see Pugsley. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. In yeah. your Major League Baseball game all-star uniforms? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. As Chris Bozzi would say, exactly. <laughs> because they look just like that. I mean, he was kind of right with that. Uh, atrocious. All right, we just ran the gamut. Do you have any pictures of that? Uh, old high school pictures with your uniform? I don't. I do. I did cr- run across. Some you old... got to find one. You got to throw it up on the web. I, I know. Tcmartinshow.com. I'm, really I'm really bad. Come on, man. I'm really bad about keeping old pictures and finding pictures. I, I don't have these. You know how many people ask me for old wrestling pictures, and, and I, I finally found a bunch of them. But again, I never took them because you know someone. I got to rely on somebody else taking them. Well, you were already wearing like three or four hats there. Yeah, but but it's funny. I, I wish I had some of those old pictures, but I did come across some uh, uh, old little league pictures. You know, like uh, when I was in little league, when they take the team photos, uh-huh. I, I came across those in an old moving box. But I don't think I came across any high school ones. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's kind just, of a shame. I know it is because I mean, you, I'm you, so you into might, pictures. You, you might have had, yeah. I mean, yeah. Y- yeah you take pictures of everything you eat, but you didn't take any pictures of you growing up. You could have had an old picture with you and Basio that you could throw up on the website I, or something. But here's the deal, Leo. As you know, my friend, we didn't have cameras. You're the big seven-footer before were no, it was well-known. There, was no, there were no selfies back in those days. No, I know. You had to get someone to take a picture of you, either with a Polaroid or some those Instamatic cameras. cameras. Yeah. I'm still... Kodak Instamatics or whatever. I was never a picture guy, but I, am, I have to admit I'm still kicking myself to this day, and obviously I can't do anything about it because I don't own a time machine. When me and my best friend went to the 84 Olympics, and we had, like, two disposable cameras, we bought, okay, we're going to, and every day we'd be like, you want to carry, we'd throw it in the glove compartment of the car we rented, because we're, I'm not taking any, we went to the 84 Olympics, probably the best two weeks of my life, just for the variety and everything else, and staying in Westwood, and all the athletes from around the world, not one picture from the 84 Olympics, not one. I know, it's, it's terrible, I mean, going back to some of the teams that I coached. And, you know, we had a reunion a while back and, and people said, hey, you know, you know, bring the pictures of our, our championship. We won back in Baltimore, Maryland. Right. And I don't have any. What do, what do you mean? No one was carrying around a camera. And back in those days, the, the true story, you could never do this. It was me and my assistant coach. We took 12 players cross country to play. In the college, uh, college in the uh, Continental America's Baseball Association, which is eighteen and under World Series, and from Sacramento to Baltimore, Maryland, with no parents, nothing. You could not do that in today's day. No. Like who's and I was like in my mid twenties at the time that I'm coaching this team. We had two adults and we had seventeen and eighteen year old kids, sixteen, seven, eighteen year old kids, and you know we're back there for eight to ten days. And the same thing when I was coaching my AAU teams. We'd go back to Florida and take it 14, 15. We had very few parents that went. And here's the thing. There are no pictures to show of this. And everyone's always asking me for pictures. Do you know I'm killing? I mean, I had guys that played in the NBA that played for me in colleges like you're talking about. And and I got no pictures, physical pictures. And it sickens me. It does. Well, I'm In gonna, video, too. Again, I mean, I make no bones about how old I am. But it, between my junior and senior years in high school, 1976, me, my best friend, and two girls went out to California together from Chicago, rented a car, drove to Disneyland, went to Universal Studios, went down to Tijuana one day. 17 years old, we rented a car and drove all, all over L.A. I did all the driving because we found out we'd have to pay extra if both, if both of us were on the thing. So my friend just carried a road atlas because there was no GPS back then. We decided the girls would say where they wanted to go that day. We'd look it up on the map. Mark would be in the passengers. He'd turn right here, turn left there. 17, and we'd drive people like, you can't get a car at 17. I'm like, you could back then. Yeah, there's things you could do back then yeah. that people, they, it was, people didn't question. We took a well, it's rent- like buying alcohol back in those days, too. We took a rent car people to under Tijuana. Yeah. We were 17. Yeah. They, I remember walking outside the place where they wanted us to come and see the donkey show. We're like, Dude, we're only 17. That's okay. Come on in. It's like, we did not go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I got a few stories like that, too. I'll leave that alone. But here's, here's my question for you. Where's the pictures of it? Uh, we didn't have no pictures. <laughs> there you go. See? It's terrible. I know. I remember going down there, and it was funny because the one girl, Cindy, she wanted to buy something. And she asked how much this purse was or something. Mm-hmm. They, and she starts pulling her money. And the other girl, Myra, None of us have been down to Tijuana before. We had no idea. And she's like, no, you're not paying that. You got to barter. It's like, you got to what? And she's like, and she offers her like a quarter of what yes. she said. And, and they're bartering. And 
she Cindy ended up getting for like a third. They, yeah. and it's like, what was that? And she goes, you can't ever give the people down here what they ask for because you're just a tourist. You have to barter for everything. And it's like, where did you learn this? She's like, well, me and my family have been down to you know yeah. Cancun or Mexico. And it's like, I mean, we were like, uh, for that day, Myra was on a pedestal to us because we yeah. had no. You actually said no to somebody. You said, I'm not giving you that. You're out of your mind. And, and she's going, they're going back and forth. And we're like just in awe, like, you know, like three 17-year-old dumb high school kids. Well, actually, the girls were only 16. We were both 17. And we're just looking at them like, wow, she's, she's arguing with authority, but she got the deal done. I got called a cheapo. Uh, in Mexico. El Chipo or yeah. just Chipo? I think it was El Chipo, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was. So we're doing this tour, right? And we're getting on this bus. And, you know, like you said, the guys are all there selling their stuff and this and that. And they're bartering with you, like you said. And I saw this guy. He had a pretty cool hat. It was a Mexico hat. And I thought, that was that was pretty cool. So I go, hey, how much you want for that? He goes, 10 bucks. I go, nah, not doing it. He goes, Seven bucks. I go, nah, not doing it. I go, I'll give you four. He goes, cheapo. And he walked away. <laughs> to this day, to this day, I still have. My daughter still calls me cheapo. Because, Dad, that guy called you cheapo because you weren't going to pay give him five bucks or seven bucks for his hat. And that hat was pretty cool. You could have had it for seven bucks. Good thing your last name is Martin and not Guzman. You would have been El Cheapo Guzman. <laughs> El Chapo's cousin. <laughs> I got his lady. He goes, Chipo. El Chipo. El Chipo to you. <laughs> I was like, wow. He's right. <laughs> but, you know. no, but obviously, you didn't need the hat that bad. I need that. And if he really wanted to sell it, he'd have made the deal. That's right. You know? He needed one more birder. Now, if it was Tootsie Rolls or something like that, you know, different ball game. I paid top dollar for some Tootsie Rolls. You'd have been El Payado. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, police blotter. We got police blotter time. All right, Richard Sherman was arrested yesterday after being charged with burglary, booked into jail outside of Seattle, broke into his in-laws' house. We didn't get a chance to to get to this yesterday, but uh, more to the story coming today. He was actually intoxicated, threatened to kill himself, we're hearing now, during a confrontation with his family. Now, the wife called 911, said that he was drunk and belligerent and was threatening to kill himself. He was being very aggressive. He actually wrestled with her uncle and then sent text messages to family members saying that he was going to hang himself. Now, you can hear on the 911 call where his wife was attempting to prevent Richard Sherman from leaving the residence, saying, Richard, please stop. She also told the 911 dispatcher that Sherman drank two bottles of hard alcohol. And at one point during the call, the uh, caller asked the dispatcher to tell police, please don't shoot, and said Sherman told her he would fight police if they arrived. So he was booked into jail. He had to spend the night in jail. And uh, some serious stuff here for Richard Sherman, who is currently a free agent. Uh, he was last with the San Francisco 49ers. There's questions whether he was going to come back and play or not. But it sounds like Richard Sherman's going through some some stuff off the field, so we feel bad for him there. However, uh, you know, going off at, at your in-laws sounds like a pretty serious matter here. And um, you just uh, you don't know really what's next for Richard Sherman. 
Well, and when I originally heard this story, they also said that he originally he crashed his car into a wall. Yes, that's true too. So, and that's when he went over to the in-laws' house, and there was some discussion on that these were people that he didn't necessarily get along with or care for. So I don't know exactly where that's transpired in the story here. And again, for people that don't know Richard Sherman in the story, that this isn't some dumb jock who's been been doing knucklehead stuff and always got in trouble. This was a guy who was a very good student. At Stanford, he truly put the student in student athlete. He's bright. He's intelligent. He's articulate. He has an education. I mean, a lot of people thought he might go into politics or something else when his playing days were over because he does have a lot on the ball. So obviously something is going very wrong in Richard Sherman's life right now. Hopefully he can get it back together. But this isn't the story of some guy who's just kind of a a freewheeling guy who is always in some controversy or something like that. I mean, he might have had some issues and some some various things before. But for the most part, this is a highly educated individual. He is is highly educated, but he has had a temper. And again, he you, we've seen him volatile with his emotions on on the field, and he's a guy that definitely gets ramped up. Uh, he's very intelligent. You're right, very smart. Yeah. He wears I, his emotions on his sleeves for wear, sure. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you could be as intelligent as you want. You can be a four point three student if you, if you want to be, but if you don't have your emotions in check, and we've seen this on the field, we've seen it off the field. We've seen his battles with uh, Michael Crabtree. We've seen him with other guys. He's a big trash talker. He's one of the biggest in the league. And again, you know, that's just not on the field stuff. So it would not surprise me to see him go overboard in these instances where he gets all revved up. And, And this is clearly the case. Again, not saying he's a bad guy whatsoever, but, you know, people that have played against Richard Sherman, they will tell you this guy is a trash talker. He's a hothead. You can get him off. His game, and uh, you know he, he he can be vol- a little volatile at times. Well, and, and two and two bottles of hard liquor can change a lot of people. Absolutely correct. Yeah, and again, and we know of all of the stories, especially from former football players and former athletes who have you know gone through numerous concussions and you know you know have uh, you know some disorders as we know some brain disorders, and we've seen people take their own lives. So here, to hear Richard Sherman say this, I mean, it just is in the vein of the Dave Durisons of the world and all these, you know, Mike Webster's, and there's so many other people even, you know, m- more current than those guys, unfortunately, that have passed. So this is a story that we're going to have to keep an eye on here, and, and it's too bad. And, you know, Richard Sherman, we're weeks away, a couple weeks away from training camp with all these teams, and he's not with a team right now. The 49ers, he's, he's not going back to the Niners. I know that he would like to kind of go back to Seattle. And again, this story happened up in Seattle where he still lives, has a place up there. Family still lives up there. And uh, whether this is just a one-off, it was just a situation where he kind of lost it. Maybe, like I said, he was drunk, alcohol is involved. I don't know, but we really haven't heard from Richard Sherman to, to know the details. So what we're just doing here is just passing along the information that we've seen from police reports. And any team that might be interested in him, now there's another red flag oh, time, to whether yeah. you sign him. It's not just what can he do for us on the field, this, that, and the other, the locker room and that. Now there's serious concerns about his mental state of, his state of mind and everything. So, right. And that's a big thing, especially, like you say, a guy who is as talented as he is and as good as he's been, you know, you don't want a loose cannon on the football field. You want somebody that you know what to expect from him, not somebody that might go off at any instance. So apparently also a part of the story is that his father-in-law, his wife's you know, father, 
uh, sprayed pepper spray in him during this altercation. Oh, I did hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah because he was trying to protect himself, right, basically. Right. So, uh, again, this was early morning hours. In, and you think about that, too. Richard Sherman, ago. who's probably out of his mind because of all the alcohol and stuff like that, a big, powerful, professional NFL player, if he comes at you and you're the father-in-law or an uncle or something like that, it's got to be frightening. Yeah. Don't know what the beef was about, but it had something to do you know, with the in-laws at their house. Uh, who knows? Maybe he wanted the wife to come home. I do, again, pure speculation at this point in time right now. But uh, the King, uh, King County judge released Richard Sherman without bail. He's got to uh, appear in, in court tomorrow morning for a second hearing on four charges, gross misdemeanors um, for Richard Sherman. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, more news here in Las Vegas. And this story actually happened on this incident, I should say, happened on July the 3rd, a couple weeks ago. Dwayne Haskins, your boy from Ohio State, the uh, former quarterback. You love it when I just say your boy from anybody from Ohio State, don't I? Well, you know, I mean, I, I guess you could say former quarterback of the Washington no-names. Yeah, that's true, too. And now the current second-string quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, so Dwayne Haskins and his wife were here in Vegas over the 4th of July weekend. Well, that's nice. Any fireworks go off? Uh, in their room, fireworks <laughs> go off. And uh, July the 3rd at the Cosmopolitan. Uh, I was there. I was at the Cosmopolitan. You were in their room? I wasn't in the room. Did you take pictures? No. I didn't have a camera. <laughs> you got your phone. You got a camera all the time now. I was at Bill Burr on July 3rd, and this happened on July 3rd. I was there. But this ain't a comedy show. Dr. Christina Madison was there as well, July the 3rd. Did she attend to the injuries? Wow. So many questions. Uh, so many questions. We got to get these answered. I love it. Uh, police were called 2.30 in the morning. I was home by that time, so I'm off the hook. 2.30 in the morning at a hotel room in the Cosmopolitan. The couple got into a fight. Now, he was here with his wife uh, to renew their vows. Oh, but, that's nice. Well, it sounds nice, but they just got married of March of this year. This is July. You're here to renew your vows. Does anybody renew their vows a couple months later? That sounds a little strange to me. You might if there's reasons to have to renew them and show that you're still committed. March, I mean, we do April, know that. April, May, June, July. We're, we're, we need to renew our vows three months later. Really? Well, I mean, I don't think I would if I was in that situation, but I'm also not a guy that was quarterback in a team that had some injuries and problems and was found making it rain in nightclubs either or strip clubs or gentlemen's clubs or whatever you would like to call them. All right. So police were called to the room at 2.30 in the morning after the couple got into a fight. She, she punched him in the face, punched him in the mouth, uh, had a bloodied lip, knocked out one of his teeth. Wow, good punch. The injuries were substantial where... Dwayne Haskins needed dental work. Now, I don't know if he could get a dentist on the 4th of July. Did he go to Dr. Weinman? I, I need to find out. Did he tie the tooth to the door and just close it? I started to call Dr. Weinman before the show, but then I ran out of time here. Uh, he was drilling somebody. You know, Somebody was in the chair, and uh, I needed him to come on to ask this because you got to remember, he is a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers now, and Dr. Weinman's team are... The Pittsburgh Steelers. So, the, so Weinman was drilling somebody, and he was getting drilled by his wife that night. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Dwayne Haskins wasn't drilling anybody. 
Well, not that we know of. He he was at a nightclub before. Maybe that's what the fight was over. Oh, <laughs> maybe there was some drilling going on. We don't know. Uh, yeah, it's all he, speculation at this point. Yeah, they came to Vegas to renew their vows. And uh, now when police questioned Dwayne Haskins, he's, here's what Haskins said. He goes, well, he goes, I remember getting into a fight with my wife, but I can't remember getting punched in the mouth. When officers searched the room, they found blood on the carpet and a piece of a tooth in the room. So did she get 15 yards for unnecessary roughness or a, a game misconduct? That, that, that's targeting. Game that's probably targeting. Yeah. yeah, game misconduct. You're the wrong sport I'm there. talking hockey here yeah, a little yeah. bit. But, uh, that, but that's th- where guys lose teeth targeting. all the time. So That's targeting. Yeah, that is targeting. Yeah. It's also a blow to the head, so that's a big penalty. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Is she going to be on the undercard of the uh, the, the Wilder Fury fight now that they got a date for it? <laughs> you just think this is funny, don't you? Well, I find it kind of funny because I'm not a big Dwayne Haskins fan. The guy oh, had the world by the tail, Ohio State and guy. he screwed it all up. Let's throw Ezekiel Elliott into this. Terrell Pryor. Let's throw them all in there. Oh, he's messing up, you Buckeyes. Uh, Ezekiel's a little beady. Arch Schleister, how's that? <laughs> oh, I hate Arch Schleister. He got Woody fired. Yeah. Last bet he ever don't won. Get, don't, uh, Clemson in the under. I have too There's many. Charlie Bowman. Have, I'll throw it right to him. I have too many, too many Archleaser stories. But, but you're the one that brought him up. I know. Uh, leave it that right there. But come on, Haskins. How can you tell the police? I remember getting in a fight with my wife, but I don't remember getting punched in the mouth. So now wait. He admits that they got into a yes. fight, and she didn't have a mark on her? Oh, man, this, this girl. I think she's from Ukraine or somewhere. What is she, the Floyd Mayweather of female fighting? He Kala, never touched her? Calabria Gondrazik Haskins. I don't know where she's from, but she's lethal. Don't mess with her. Well, at least it's proper that she stays in the fight capital of the world. She punched out an NFL, well, pseudo-NFL quarterback. I mean, Haskins, he's a big dude. Punched him out, knocked out his tooth. She didn't mess around. I mean, was this just with a fist? I wonder if there's a foreign object in into play here. I don't know. Well, he doesn't remember, so maybe she did pick something up. Now is all right. Maybe she should fight Big Ben then. You know, I mean, come on. Ben's got to stick up for his backup quarterback, right? Keep an eye on this story here, Dwayne Haskins. Getting ready to go to training camp. Coming to the Chelsea soon on a boxing card that everybody wants to see. I will not be the ring announcer for that fight. Uh, what is it? These guys. You'd do it if they said, TC, we need you to do this card, and this is on the undercard. Well, would you rather see that or one of the Paul brothers? <laughs> <laughs> love the Chelsea. No, love the Chelsea. Chelsea, what a fantastic venue. What is it with these football players before training camp? What's going on with this? You know, you're getting ready to go to training camp. You're trying to get all your, you know, last vacation spot. This isn't even vacation. It's ridiculous. Come on, man. Keep it clean. For the heavyweight championship of the world. I don't think she's a heavyweight. No, I don't think so. Either. I think so. Yeah. Dwayne Haskins definitely she is was, a they were They were probably fighting in a catchweight, and she still took them. <laughs> 
All right, Matthew Holt's going to join us when we come back. Uh, speaking of uh, fighting, UFC 264. We'll get Matt Holt's thoughts on that and uh, specifically what Conor McGregor had to say. We'll get some audio from him as well as we'll talk NBA Finals and more. And guess what? Baseball resumes. Well, we thought baseball when? was going to resume. When's it coming back? We thought it was going to resume tonight, but not so fast. Now, more of your favorite personal sports physician. Don't make me big. T.C. Martin. Of course, you are a character. Doesn't mean that you have character. The doctor is now in. <laughs> so we were supposed to have one baseball game tonight, but that has been postponed. It was the Yankees and the Red Sox. And remember, in years past, usually... The Thursday, we'd resume play after the All-Star break. But they had one game scheduled tonight, and everyone else will be in action you know, tomorrow night. But that game has been postponed, the Yankees and the Red Sox, because of multiple positive COVID tests for the New York Yankees. They have three positives and three pending, according to their GM, Brian Cashman. And uh, it sounds like the three positives... Guys were all vaccinated. Yeah, it says uh, Brian Cashman said that all three were vaccinated. Two had the Johnson and Johnson vaccination. The other one had the Moderna. So they were the Yankees were actually uh, one of the teams up there. They had eighty five percent of their players right now that have been vaccinated. But um, still, it just shows that even if you've been vaccinated, it doesn't mean that you're necessarily you're not immune to or you can't get the virus, especially with the new strains and everything else out there. So. There's still some misinformation about that kind of stuff. So, yeah, three Yankee players have tested positive, and three others are in protocol. Uh, they're still waiting for results, and, and uh, two of those guys are Aaron Judge and Gino Urshela. So keep an eye on that. All right, Matthew Holt uh, joins us. We uh, recap a little UFC 264. We got some more Conor McGregor stuff to talk about, plus the NBA Finals, and, yes, Major League Baseball returning for the most part tomorrow. Matt, what's going on, my man? TC, how we doing? Not exactly a whole lot of sports going on the last couple of days. <laughs> you know, that cracks me. I mean, people say, you know, hey, this is the dead time, the dead zone. All I know is last night we had the WNBA All-Star Game. We had a great game number four in the in the NBA Finals. And, uh, you know, we got Major League Baseball. We, you know, the, the All-Star game was entertaining to a certain degree. Grace Men had a couple wins over in the Prague Open in uh, women's tennis, so I was watching that. There you go. So we got, and I'm we got, sure you saw how the WNBA All-Star game had that, you know, a record associated with it last night. And uh, which record uh, were you talking about? Uh, oh, the yes, yes. The line movement yes. on a professional sport ever. And that's exactly, we talked a little bit about that last hour, my friend, but I'm saving the juicy stuff for you exactly. So uh, this is what I don't get, Matt. Well, I do get it, I guess, that bookmakers are really not in tune to this sport and in this league. And I wish they would have talked to me because I would have set the line at about 197, 198 and a half. It would have been right there because we talked about it all week on how this was going to be a competitive game. Team USA is getting ready for the Olympic Games. They're facing the best team that they're going to face in the entire Olympic Games last night uh, with the WNBA All-Stars. So uh, we knew the coaches were going to take this serious. The players were taking it serious. And I wish I just... Would have got a piece of under two forty eight and a half when it came out. Yeah, unbelievable. And I think where the market and the industry as a whole took the biggest hit. Not that one odds maker was fifty. You know, at some point, I guess at its high, sixty one and a half points off with his opening number. But rather, 
the fact that the rest of the entire market copied it. And for years, we've heard these, you know, Vegas odds, Vegas bookmakers from these different sports books go on there and talk about, there yeah, are our, our odds making team made this game, blah, blah, blah. You don't have an odds making team, and to prove it, Every line that whoever originates the odds puts up, whether it's good, bad, or even the worst line in the history of sports, you copy it without questioning it in the slightest. And Matt, would you agree this could be the worst line made in the in the history? As far as I can't remember anything this bad. It's not even close. It, yeah. it certainly is the worst line. I mean, look, at U.S. Integrity, we start flagging games that have a five-point total move. I can't imagine a 55-point total move. It is unheard of. Ten-point moves would be monumental. 50, this is by far not close, without a question, the worst odds that people have taken bets on in the history of betting, and every regulated book in the United States copied the number. (laughs) So from your perspective, you're in the office yesterday, if you were, did you see this? Were you monitoring this? Or what were your thoughts when this all went down? Oh, my God, it cost me my whole day. I'm on the phone with the NBA, the WNBA folks. We were trying to make sure there wasn't a rule change. We're like, how can a line uh, be this far off and be moving this much if something's not suspicious, are there some players out due to COVID? Because that's been the one that sneaks up on people a lot the last year is surprise COVIDs. I'm like, is there some surprise COVIDs where players aren't going to play? Did they do something with the shot clock? Did the rules of the game change? Did they shorten the quarters to avoid injury or for TV purposes? I mean, we just looked into everything, and basically at the end of the day, it was one individual uh, who I think, you know, he admitted it on Twitter and yep. in an article admitting that he just, you know, got out of the shower, took a quick peek at what the numbers were in a couple of previous seasons and hung a number and started taking bets. And that's it. And see, and man, I could have saved you an entire day. All you had to do is pick up the phone and call me. I would have laid it all out for you, my man. I would have told you everything you need to know that it's bogus. Nothing. Everyone's going to be playing except for Liz Cambage. And that's it. Everything else. It was going to be a competitive game. Yeah, and that's all it was. You're right. That's really all it was, that the betters all seemed to be attuned to that information, and the people that set the original odds uh, weren't, and the rest of the books copying them, you know. It just shows that there's a real need for analytics, algorithms, models, machines, basically computers being used to set odds in this industry and not just random people setting what they feel like and then a market blindly copying them. You mentioned the fact that you were on the phone all day trying to find out what was going on, why that line was so ridiculously out of whack. Why didn't some other sportsbook director or somebody notice that? And and, Because they all just kind of stepped in line. I mean, if somebody would have put up a legitimate line, they might have been able to clean up on everybody going, well, fine, we'll take the over here and the under everywhere else because it's it's like they've got to be the Grand Canyon of middles of all time. Well, the books got bailed out, Frank. And, look, I talked to about 30 operators yesterday, and amazingly none of them knew what was happening. Uh, really, and but amazingly, they all got bailed out pretty much because the line was so far off. And, and let's face it, WNBA is a betting marketplace that doesn't have a lot of public liquidity. Most of the people that bet it are sharp anyway. 
these sharps were pounding the under for so long. But to your point, Frank, the middle opportunity was way too tempting for any of them to turn down. Which is why we saw once it bottomed out at 190, it climbed all the way back up to 196 because every one of those pros that had bet under 248 or under 250, they came back and bet over 190. So they outsmarted themselves. They did. They all did. And it didn't, you know, they all thought, boy, I'm going to have a 50-point middle. That's the greatest middle ever. I have to do it. But by doing that, they might have cost themselves the easiest bet they ever made, Correct. getting a 50-point advantage on the number. And instead, it went under all bets, including those late bottom numbers. And they all outsmarted themselves. And the books actually did okay to it. They, you know, they lo- Most of them lost a tiny bit of money. But this wasn't a monumental defeat for the books. And it's simply because all the pros couldn't resist that gigantic middle. Yeah, and they didn't take a whole ton of action. I know some oh. property you know, because, like you said, a lot of people aren't aren't betting it. But here, here's where the the thing is. It, there's two stories here. One is, and, and you you hit it right on the head, is that you got a, a bookmaker who basically didn't has no idea about the league and you know casually and got lazy and admitted it used that term lazy put you know and, and put up this number but here the bigger story for me Matt is and you alluded to it uh, at the beginning I think and we touched upon it last hour is that everybody else follows suit here and yeah. that's the thing that kills me because we go back to those days you know to the stardust you know line when people would race outside to the phones and the stardust would put up the lines at eight o'clock in the morning or the night before and then everybody would would copycat and but there are more independent books but then now since we've got to corporate america from basically you know you know 1999 on to 2000 you know on where everyone's corporate 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 everyone just does what everyone else does you still would think that people at different properties would say okay let me analyze this and say let's make our own number so just i mean really shame on everybody for just saying okay uh two four That's what we're going to put up as well, too. Nobody does their homework here. And so my big question here is, is is it still this way with all the other major sports? I mean, I think everybody should kind of just make their own lines, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whether it's hockey or whatever, instead of relying on maybe just one service. Because you're right, no one, no one claims like, oh, that you know, they want to say we're our own bookmakers, but they really aren't. Yeah, nobody does. And here's the problem is if you're a bookmaker, even if you have an odds-making team and a really good one that builds amazing algorithms and models, and let's just use last night's basketball game as an example. Let's say that your model said, uh, you know, the Bucks should be an eight-point favorite and the line says the Bucks should be a two-point favorite, the market. So the market says it's two, your models hang eight, and you hang eight. There are so many ARBs out there in bots, and for people that don't know what bots mean, it means literally robots that are built to automatically bet every time there's an ARB opportunity, meaning you bet both sides of a game and you can actually make profit because the line differential is too great. Every time there's an ARB opportunity, they automatically bet. So what happens is if you're a book and in that in that situation we just discussed and you have bucks minus 8 and the market says it's minus 2 you will take nothing but max bets on the Suns plus 8 plus 7 plus 6 until you come back to at least close to market. So the problem is even if your models say 
hey, we say the Bucks should be minus eight. The market says the Bucks should be minus two, and then the Bucks win by eight. I know they won by six last night. But it didn't matter that your model was better than the market because the market ends up hitting you so one-sided that your action gets. Now, if you think your models are good enough, you could take on the market. But none of these books have the confidence to take on the market, so they just simply post market numbers with low limits at first, like the first couple hours those numbers come out the night before, the limits are always low, or they'll let the books, like Circa in this case, they'll let the books that want to put the openers out and take big limits do that, and then they'll give it a couple hours, okay, well, we think the pros have hit him by now, and they'll just post that settled number. But I, until we get into a point where machines are making the numbers, I think as long as humans are doing it, we're probably going to see a situation where this continues in the industry. Now, at some point, Wall Street is going to enter the regulated sports betting market, and as soon as you get those financial services guys in there more and more and more, then I think we're going to see people moving markets differently. But right now, the way sports betting is in the U.S., I think it's a somebody makes the market and all the sheep follow kind of situation. And we saw the same type of thing, you know, a couple days earlier as well, too, with, you know, this week here with basketball here in Las Vegas with Team USA. I mean, a 28-and-a-half point favorite against Nigeria. And if you're going to go back to, you know, the the previous USA teams and previous Nigeria teams, okay, I, I get that. But if you're doing your homework and you're seeing that Team USA is only suiting up eight guys and really this roster is the worst roster we've ever constructed and you look at the Nigerian roster where they have eight NBA players on there that was a horrendous line and then you back it up and then with Australia the next game well let's see USA's probably not as good but we'll still make them 16 and a half those were two horrendous lines too yeah Look, odds making's tough, and I do commend anybody who's the first one to put numbers out. That's not easy. I just went. I, I it's just. I think it's a bad look for the entire market that 50 different sports books across the company country simply copy a number that was 50, almost 60 points off, and blindly copy it. At some point, if these companies are going to max efficient, you know, max out their profitability and efficiency, you just can't do that. Was there anything offshore or something that was different that you noticed or didn't you really get a chance to dive into that much? Because, like you said, it is kind of a niche sport that uh, not everybody follows. No, and to be honest with you, what's interesting now is let's take the, the eight most important or you know most widely recognized and used offshore books, combine them with the, the handful of sports books in the U.S. that might even hang numbers first because there's only a few. Whoever hangs the number first out of that group, we'll call it a group of ten, five in the U.S., five offshore, even though it's really like seven offshore, three in the U.S., but out of that group of 10, whoever hangs the number first, the rest of the market just waits a half hour, sees how that number moves, and then the whole world copies. It is simply an amazing phenomenon, and it's something that we never see in any other industry. Yet the betters, everybody that I spoke to yesterday said the same thing you guys did, that everyone's saying now that this is a competitive game. Oh, by the way, the last time these two this happened in 2016, the Olympic team versus the non-Olympic All-Stars. It was 88-84. So there was a precedent set when they play Olympics. 
I mean, everything was true. It's just yet, despite the fact that everyone knew what was going on, they still just copied that market number and kept on moving it down and kept on taking bets. And then when it finally bottomed out, they took big, giant bets the other way to see if people could hit the biggest middle ever. And the thing about it is when I first saw that number and read the story, I'm thinking, oh, this guy was thinking NBA All-Star Game because those numbers are ludicrous. And it's like it's WNBA number one. And, again, it's going to be competitive. So, yeah, crazy stuff. All right, Matthew Holt joins us from U.S. Integrity. All right, Matt, let's switch gears to talk UFC 264. And uh, Conor McGregor, uh, we talked about him you know, all week long, we'll get your takes on that. But first, I want to play the latest audio from Conor McGregor after his surgery. I'm just extremely grateful for every single one of you. And I'm motivated to go and do this. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to come back. The leg is better than ever. I was, I was injured going into the fight. Let's, people are asking me, when was the leg broke? Uh, what, at what point did the leg break? Ask Dana White, ask the UFC, ask Dr. Davidson, the, the head doctor of the UFC. They knew I was, my leg, I had a stress fractures in my leg going into that cage. There was debate about pulling the thing out because I was sparring with no shin pads and I was kicking, I kicked the knee a few times. So I had multiple stress fractures in the shin bone above the ankle. And then I have trouble with the ankle anyway, do you know what I mean, throughout the years of fighting all the time. So... And I also was wrapping my ankle. I was wrapping my ankle every every training session. You know, I even done a lot of uh, training sessions where when the ankle was sore, I still wouldn't stop training. I used to just train on my back. All right, there's Conor McGregor. And Matt, before I get your thoughts on this, I want to let you know, um, you know, I, I talked to a member of the Nevada State Athletic Commission today, and they basically have said, you know, hey, our doctors check everybody out, as we well know, before this. There's no evidence of anything, these injuries here, and their doctors usually do a very, very thorough check here. And that is part of this in the combative sports, whether it's boxing or UFC. So when you hear Conor McGregor say that, give me your thoughts about that, and then we'll talk about the fight specifically. I am 100% sure, especially here in Nevada with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, but almost any state athletic commission in the country is going to ask every fighter prior to the fight to disclose any injuries they have at that time so that the state athletic commission can examine those injuries and decide whether or not the fighter should go on. If Conor McGregor would have uh, you know, declared to those state athletic commission doctors that he had multiple stress fractures in his ankle and shin prior to the fight, they would not have let him fight. So I think it's ridiculous. And if he did really have those, he didn't disclose it to the state athletic commission doctors. He kept it to himself. Now, what we have seen in the history of combat sports multiple, multiple times in boxing and MMA especially in the mid-cards where guys really need that payday. A couple grand makes a big deal to them. They will not disclose injuries. Uh, they might have a broken finger, you know, torn shoulder. You know, uh, I, I've seen guys fight with a torn MCL because that paycheck is so important that they can't turn it down. But a lot of times they lose because they're fighting compromised. If I don't understand why a guy like Conor McGregor, who's not A, doesn't need the paycheck, and B, certainly could get the fight rescheduled to wherever he wants. 
I can't imagine he was fighting severely compromised by injuries in what was essentially the most important fight of his career. Because as we see now, Connor has lost four of his last five fights. I'm not sure the mystique of Connor is there anymore. And look, you know, the first fight with, with Poirier, or at least the second fight with Poirier, but the first one of these last two, was fun and entertaining enough to say, hey, let's pay for it again because they slugged it out and it ended in a vicious knockout. But now we've seen Connor get ragdolled by Khabib, just get destroyed by Poirier twice. He's getting older. He has a lot of money. Athletes as they start to get into their mid to late 30s in combat sports, don't tend to get better. They tend to get worse. You know, look, it's a little bit of bad luck for the UFC. Imagine where they'd be from a promotional standpoint if they still had Ronda Rousey, John Jones, and Conor McGregor as champions. Oh, my God, they'd be making billions and billions of dollars. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. Amanda Nunez knocked out Ronda Rousey, and she was gone. John Jones had all his outside the octagon issues and suddenly Conor McGregor can't win a fight. But I think it's Conor just making excuses at this point. Let's just face it, Conor isn't the same guy at 155 pounds that he was at 145 pounds. In fact, Conor only has one win, one win over Eddie Alvarez at 155 pounds. At 145 pounds at featherweight, he was a knockout machine who also fought opposition that was really well-matched by the UFC. They paired him with guys that he was going to look good against, and then he did the greatest thing in the world and knocked out the longest reigning champion, Jose Aldo, in 13 seconds. But then he, when he, once he moved to 155, he has one win. I think the end of the Conor run has is, is, is come to an end. All right. Matt, uh, appreciate the time as always, my friend. Uh, let's uh, get back with you and talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Take care. All right. Appreciate Matt Holt for joining us. BJ Armstrong as well, too, and we'll continue to talk more about Conor McGregor uh, story uh, tomorrow. Yeah, and, and real quick, too. If Conor did know he had stress fractures and he was still sparring and kicking people in the knees, then he's an idiot. Right, right. And, again, uh, this flashback to, you know, Manny Pacquiao when he had the shoulder injury before he fought Floyd Mayweather as well, too, and then Mayweather doing the IVs and all that sort of thing. That was controversy, so this kind of resembles that a little bit as well, Tim. All right, we're back at it again tomorrow. We'll be at Sunset Station. Make sure you join us then. And if you miss any part of any of the shows, go to the website at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 2. What's that?